0: You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. We like justice in a world, for the most part, people want justice in every area of their lives. But injustice isn't something that is new to us, rather it's the norm. Injustice is what we see happen daily in our lives, in the culture, in the news, in the workplace, in our families. We don't like injustice, yet we still see it and have to deal with it on a regular basis. The reason we see so much injustice in our day and why it seems to be normalized is because ultimately we live in a world that is fallen and as a result of sin we endure, we face, we experience injustice on a regular basis. Listen, injustice isn't a skin issue, it's a sin issue. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Injustice, listen, is not a political issue. It's a biblical issue. Romans 3.10 reminds us that there is none righteous. No, not one. My friends, we have to come to grips with the reality that we are all depraved. And given to our own selves, we, like them, will endure alongside of them as we give out injustice to one another. Justice is not an economical issue. It's an iniquity issue. Isaiah 59.2 says your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins has hidden His face from you so that He does not even hear. Every act of injustice streams from the Garden of Eden when the fall of man in which sin entered into our world. We like justice and we hate injustice or we should hate Injustice of any kind. This is not only a logical conclusion, but a biblical conclusion. Why? Because God is a just God. And if God is a just God, He is always just. And thus, injustice flows from that which is contrary to God. So how are we to live our lives In a world in which we do face injustice. And how are we to live our lives justly in the face of injustice? How are we to endure injustice as believers, as followers of Christ, those who have placed their faith in the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, not our deeds, not our efforts, not our works, not our accomplishments, but in the person and work of Jesus Christ. How are we to handle injustice? Because if we are going to walk through this life that is ravaged by sin, the fall of man, you will have to understand how to endure injustice. Because it is not going anywhere. Have, have we come to grips with the reality that injustice is a part of the fallen system by which we live? The question is, how do we live a life while injustice exists? Doesn't mean we don't stand up against injustice. Doesn't mean we don't speak out against injustice but to fabricate some idea that this world will ever be accompanied by just justice is certainly not a reality justice it embodies everything contrary to god's holy nature And the Bible is not deficient of any examples from the scriptures of men and women throughout history who have endured injustice, who have faced injustice and yet lived and endured through it. They have to, though, in the face of that, ultimately have a firm foundation of who God is and what God has promised. Injustice is an offense to God. And one day, He will deal with the sin of injustice and every other sin problem that we see on the face of this wicked earth that exists in the world for which we have to daily live. Now that doesn't sound like an exciting message, does it? But sometimes we have to put aside that which makes us feel good to acknowledge the truth of where and what we live in. And if I can encourage you this morning is to tell you one thing that we need to be reminded of every day we open our eyes into a wicked world is this is not our home. This is not our home if we have trusted the gospel, were saved. And he says, I am going to prepare a place. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive it to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. There is hope of something in the future for which we will not have to encounter injustice. But for now, God still allows injustice to happen. For a season So understanding who God is is vitally important if we are going to endure in this life in justice. It's vital for us to grasp that first, God is a just God. I'm reminded from the word of God that many places points to the fact of this truth. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18 says, Therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are those who long for him! Isaiah 61 8 simply says, For I, the Lord, love justice. Listen to what the one who seems to face injustice like we've never seen before. The man Job, as he says in Job 34, 12, surely God will not act wickedly and the Almighty will not pervert justice. Deuteronomy 32:4: the rock, His work is perfect for all His ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice. Righteous and upright is He. Listen, God, we must understand, is just. And if you and I are going to walk through this broken world, which you will as long as God allows you to tarry, we have to first understand that God is just and that one day He will deal with injustice. And will never go away on this side of heaven. But you ask, what does this have to do with John 19, 1 to 16, the passion of Christ? Listen, I want you to see and understand that God uses injustice to bring about justice for you and for me. He takes that which is evil and uses it for good and in the end will provide our solution as to how we in this life are to deal with injustice. God will provide the means through which you and I in this world can endure injustice through an act of injustice. God's always got a way of taking that which is evil and using it for His glory. Because God is just. God will take care of injustice in His own timing. And when you understand that, and when you hold tight to that, and when you believe that, it will set you free, my friend. He will take care of injustice in His own timing, by His own means, and it will be done in a just manner. Because God is always just. That's why it says, Paul in Romans 12, 19, Never take your own revenge. Why? But leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Notice what it does not say, that vengeance is steward's, and he must take it on his own. Because the temptation for you and for me in this flesh, which we will live until we see Christ, is to fight back, isn't it? Fight back rather than be dependent on the one who will fight justly. So as we dive into John 19, as we see the unfolding of injustice in the most extreme, excruciating manner against him who is perfectly just, be reminded God is just and promises to dismantle injustice in his timing. Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 19, verses 1 to 16. And as you're turning there, I'll bring you up to speed on where we have been and where we are now and we find ourselves. Jesus has been betrayed by one of His own, Judas. And now you think about the injustice of that. He has been given a late night trial which in itself is illegal. But who cares, right, when you're living lives of injustice, as these religious leaders were. He then stood before Annas, the father-in-law to the high priest, or he was the father-in-law of the high priest, whom was really the high priest by way of historical influence. As he's met there with this man, he is slapped in the face by the officers who stood by as this illegal proceeding proceeds. He's then carried to Caiaphas, the active high priest. And as he watches all of this unfold, Peter denies him for the third time as Jesus glances over him and he remembers for what Christ had told him. Jesus, then after a long night of unjust hearings, early in the morning, we're told, is taken to Pilate. Pilate, in that moment, finds no fault with Jesus. He sends him to Herod, who is in town because of the Passover, We don't see that in John, but we do see that in Luke chapter 23. Herod is interested, wants to meet Jesus so that he can see some signs and wonders as it's some kind of laughing stock. He dresses him in a robe and ships him back to Pilate. Not guilty. Pilate again questions Jesus, still finds no fault, and decides to release a prisoner hoping they would release Jesus, but his cowardly attempt fails, and they ask for Barabbas to be released. And thus we find ourselves in the context of John chapter 19, verse 1. Pilate has to make a decision. He has to do something. The crowds are rowdy, they hate Jesus, they are bloodthirsty, and they want and have been shouting, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Three things I want us to consider as we see the enduring injustice of Christ. I first, want us to pay attention to the punishment. Second, the accusation. And thirdly, the judgment. Let's start by considering the punishment. He says here, so verse 1, "...so Pilate then took Jesus and had Him flogged. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and placed it on His head and put a purple cloak on Him. And they repeatedly came up to Him and said, Hail the King of the Jews! And they slapped Him in the face again and again and again." Pilate is trying to escape the responsibility of releasing Jesus. And as we'll see, Pilate certainly finds no fault with this man. He is certainly not a threat to the Roman law. And even if he is some kind of, quote, king, Pilate knows that his kingdom, so he thinks, doesn't threaten his earthly kingdom. And so, thus, he wants to release Jesus. But the religious leaders clearly want him dead. Having wanted him dead for some time, as they had been planning this from early on in the book of John, they want him dead. And whatever the cause, they're not going to simply let Jesus go now that they have him in custody. But Pilate knows that if he lets this man go, oh boy, there will be an uproar in the city. And if there's an uproar in the city, it may cost him his job. He doesn't like the Jewish people. You say, well, how do we know this? Well, some writers suggested that Pilate would make shields with Caesar's face on it and would use those in the community and the people became furious and called it an idol. And so they sent word back to Rome and Rome said, Pilate, remove the shields and cause no problems among the Jewish people. And then later we are told that he assembled many, many flags and he would put Caesar's face on it in the same problem. And so they were continually going to Rome and complaining about what Pilate was doing. And so he would remove that. Listen, they were a constant problem to Pilate. And if they had another uproar in the city, it may cost him his job. So they had been problematic for him. This by far is the greatest test that he has faced as a judge. And so sets a plan into action that he believes may still allow for Jesus to be released. And so the text says in verse 1, So then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. He's brutally beaten. Bloody, debilitated, humiliated, tied to a tree, stripped of His clothes, and flogged. It is certainly a sick and unjust beating that Jesus faced, that He endured this unjust act. It has been said that there were six soldiers that took turns Beating Jesus because they would become weary. And so to keep the process going, they would switch places. These are Romans. These are not Jews. The Jews required no more than 40. They would stop at 39 lashes. But not the Romans. There was no such rule. His skin ripped from his body. Many reports that even those who had been flogged, their organs would hang out sometimes being exposed because this Roman three-thronged whip incorporated pieces of bone and metal attached, and when it would grip, it would rip as they pulled it back. Oh, the price that he paid. The pain he endured. It's all part of God's plan. To deal with injustice. The punishment, the beating that Christ endured, listen, was pure injustice. Tell me about how you've been dealt with injustly again. Did the God in flesh beat to a pulp? Where they He couldn't even be recognized and, and you deal with injustice? I deal with injustice? Oh, pity me. What about him? What about him? Pilate is guilty of punishing an innocent man. But know this, there is a purpose in this evil and just action that has taken place. It's this foreknowledge of God in flesh. Jesus, fully man yet fully God, sees These events unfolding in the garden of Gethsemane when He sweats blood in the cool of the night. We know it's cold because they set fires to stay warm when they had these illegal proceedings of Jesus. It's First Peter 2.24 that reminds us though of what's taken place in this unjust beating when it says, and He Himself bore our sins, your sins, my sins, upon His body on the cross so that we might die to sin, that we might live to righteousness. For by His wounds you were healed. It is something we don't think about often, is it? The enduring injustice that Christ went through, my friends, was for you and for me. That we might live to righteousness. The problem of the world, the problem with injustice is sin. And know this, the only solution to sin is Christ. The only solution to injustice is Jesus. The only solution to injustice is the gospel. Because if there is no lawgiver, if there is not one who is an absolute authority who defines that which is right and that which is wrong, then there is no such thing as injustice. Because at that point, it's just the survival of the fittest. If there is no God, there is no law, there is no injustice, and you should beat me up and I should beat you up and take that which is on your possession for my own benefit. You want a world without God? You want a world without Christ? That's what we get. Because if there is no God, there is no law. And if there is no law, there is no injustice. But there is a law. There is a lawgiver. And injustice offends God. And one day He will pay back and He will punish the unjust of the world that we face today. He suffered so that we might live to righteousness. He suffered that we might die to sin. And we scream, don't we? Justice! Justice! We want justice! Justice! As long as that justice does not condemn us to hell. You see, it's all good to have justice until that condemns us to hell. Because if you have broken the law of God, and I suggest we have all broken the law of God, because the Bible again says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that there is none righteous, no, not one, that our sins have made a separation between us and our God, then He is a righteous judge and He will declare you and me guilty. And therefore, to solve the problem of your injustice against a just God, He sends His Son Jesus Christ, who has taken the stripes for you and for me. And because of his suffering, because of the cross, we can say we're a new creation, Christ. The old things have passed away. Behold the new have come. Second Corinthians 5:17. Because of his suffering, you and I can be forgiven. Ephesians 1.7 And because he has suffered, you and I can be forgiven and we can forgive those who have offended us, those who have hurt us, those who have given to us injustice acts. Ephesians 4.3 it's because of the fact that he was punished unjustly that we can be accepted by God, Romans 15:7. It's the reason that we no longer are slaves to sin, Romans 6, 6. Because of his unjust suffering, God has ultimately granted access to himself through his son and his suffering. Hebrews 4:14 4, to 16. It's because he's just. It's because of the unjust punishment that you and I who have placed our faith in Christ, He dwells His Spirit within us, Ephesians chapter 3, 13 and 14. It's why He has granted us power over sin and ultimately He has brought in a new covenant not based upon works and deeds and law, but rather His mercy and His grace. He must have been striped for you and for me that we might have the gospel and encounter all the benefits and blessing of His suffering. Ultimately, so that you and me might endure the injustice of this world. All of this forged in the hot white heat of suffering, unjustly, and yet Christ endured. We're told, verse 2, that the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and placed it on his head. Listen, I've been to Israel and I've seen thorns. And there ain't no placing it on the head. It would have been putting it on the head by force, and it would have sunk into His head, causing excruciating pain and bleeding. As I thought about this, I thought about where did the thorns come from? From the fall of man. Because of sin, thorns exist. And here we have a picture of the thorns being placed on Christ's head. That's kind of allegorical preaching. But it's interesting, isn't it? Then we're told they put a purple cloak on him, probably from one of the soldiers. And they repeatedly came up to him and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and slapped them in the face again and again. Jesus is mocked as King. This is unjust suffering. All again a part of the plan of Pilate to cause pity so that Jesus could be set free. Rather than just setting an innocent man free, let's, let's just flog him and beat him to a pulp. It was Pilate's fear that calls Jesus to be unjustly punished. I think there's some personal application here that if we're not careful, we'll do the same thing to people around us. Instead of doing that which we know to be right out of fear of protecting ourselves, we will not do that which is just and we will then act unjustly, which is injustice, my friends. The prophet Isaiah reminds us that Jesus willingly, obediently endured injustice though. Isaiah 50 verse 6 says, I gave my back to those who strike me. My cheeks to those who pull out my beard. I did not hide my face from insults and spitting. Jesus was the suffering servant. Spoken of and fulfilled and here by Isaiah and Christ and from unjust men in Isaiah 53, 3 and 4, it says, He was despised and abandoned by men, a great, a man of great pain and familiar with sickness, and like one from whom people hid their face, he was despised. And he had no regard for him. However, it was his, it was our sickness that he himself bore. It was our pains that he carried, and yet we ourselves assumed that he had been afflicted, struck down by God and humiliated. Listen, Pilate punished him. God in flesh. He punished the one who will be the one that will one day be the Punisher. I mean, think about that. Think about going and beating someone up only to go to your new job and find out it's your boss. The difference is when Jesus judges Pilate, he will indeed be guilty. And what you and I have in common with Pilate is we are all guilty. We've all sinned. We can come in our Sunday best. We can come decorated and on our best behavior. But the reality is as we worship a God in heaven who knows every detail of our life, every thought in our head, every miscounted word, every word spoken out of anger and sinful thoughts, we need Jesus. We need Him to suffer that you and I might be forgiven. We need Him to endure injustice so that we might have justice on our behalf. Just for the unjust. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6, But He was pierced for our offenses, your offense, my offense, our sins. He was crushed for our wrongdoings. Yeah, you, you know the things you do that dishonor God that, that, that only you know of, or your spouse knows of, or your children know of. He was crushed for that. The punishment for our well-being was laid upon Him. And by His wounds we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us, has turned to His own way, but the Lord has caused the wrongdoing. Yahweh has caused the wrongdoings of us to fall on Him, Jesus Christ. It was our sins that held Him there. It was our sins that kept Him attached to the tree and flogged and spit upon and slapped in the face and mocked. Remember, He's God in flesh. Very capable of calling down legions of angels at any moment to destroy those who are acting unjustly against Him who is God in flesh so that you and I might be forgiven. You will one day either be judged by Christ or joined with Christ. And the gospel, my friends, is the determining factor. I don't know where you stand spiritually. I don't know if you've ever believed the gospel. Maybe your mom and your dad do. Maybe your grandparents do. Maybe you do and your grandparents don't. Maybe you're watching live this morning. Maybe you're listening live this morning. I don't know where God has you today, but I want you to know this. You must believe the gospel lest you be judged. And if you are going to be judged, and go to hell with us wrapped around your legs, dragging you and begging you and pleading with you to believe the gospel. It's not your works. It's not your deeds, not your accomplishments in life that will get you forgiven and saved. No, it's your faith in His suffering and in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that He paid for your sins in His sufferings, that you might be justified before God, that you might be declared right before God, legally speaking. And that's because of your faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So we see the enduring justice of Christ in His punishment. But secondly, we see the enduring justice of Christ in the accusation. So when Pilate completed the task of trying to cause pity on the people, we are told in verses 4 and 5, and then Pilate came out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you so that you will know that I find no grounds at all (laughs) for charges in his case. Jesus then came out wearing the crown of thorns and a purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Find no charges, but you beat them. What greater grounds of injustice is there than that? How does our injustice compare to that of Christ? We are sinners. He's perfect. What we deserve is the pure flaming wrath and justice of God. That's what we deserve. We want justice, but we don't want to act just. No, what we deserve is wrath yet for the grace of God. So we who are sinners don't don't, don't have to endure. Christ does. And when we do face injustice, which you will know this, again, this isn't your home. Don't pursue on this earth that which is only available in heaven. So Pilate began playing his wicked games. Brings Jesus out really causing him to be a laughingstock among the people. Look at this poor man. He, he isn't your king. Let him go. He's just a man. How far off theologically is Pilate in his complete lack of messianic understanding? This isn't just a man. He, he is the man. He's the Son of God. Here he denies Jesus as King and fails to grasp that He is indeed King of kings and Lord of lords. Yes, He's fully man, but He's fully God. Jesus is indeed the King of the Jews. He is also King of the Romans. He is also King of your life and He is Lord of your life, whether you accept Him or reject Him. He's the Lord of your life. He is the Lord of lords. Now, I know it's easy for us to bring judgment against these men, but let me ask you personally today who do you say that Jesus is? Just a good man? Just a man? Is he man or is he God? Because if you, like Pilate, deny Jesus as Lord, listen, you will be judged in the same manner as guilty. When Pilate brings Jesus out to the crowd, he finds out real quick, they don't respond the way he hopes. Verse 6, So when the chief priests and officers saw Him, they shouted, screaming, saying, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! They are bloodthirsty. They have wanted him dead for a long time and now is the time to capitalize on it. But Pilate grows frustrated that his plan has not unfolded. It doesn't work and the people are only pressured more to see this man hang on a Roman cross. So Pilate responds. And Pilate says to them almost in frustration, take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no grounds for charges in his case. Total of six times. Pilate has claimed he's not guilty. And if he's not guilty, he's innocent. You take him, guys. He has had enough of these Jews and their demands. And he has a choice to make. Love what Spurgeon said. One terrible proponent of the penalty of sin is its power to force a man to commit yet further iniquity. Unfortunately, this is what we see unfold in this man, Pilate. The Jews answered him, verse 7, We have a law. And by that law he ought to die because he makes himself out to be the Son of God. This isn't the first time, isn't it? They've done this before in which they've gathered stones to sow Him, but it was not yet His time, but now it is His time. Their accusations against God in flesh is that He has committed blasphemy. Huh. Think about it for a minute. You just call God in flesh blasphemous. Now they're referring to the Old Testament law from Leviticus 24.16 when it says, Moreover, the one who blasphemes the name of the Lord Yahweh shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone Him. The alien as well as the native. When He blasphemes, the name shall be put to death. Now they couldn't stone Jesus to death. It had to be A Roman method. Stoning was the Jewish method. They needed the Romans to do this job. Why? Because it's been preordained from the foundations of the world so that you might endure injustice, my friends. The one who is dealt injustice does it so that you might be saved. The Jews were at the heart, no matter the fact, at the the murder of the Son of God. But their claim that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God messes with Pilate even more. And in verse 8, therefore when Pilate heard this statement, the text says he was even more afraid. Now the Greek word used here, for afraid in the original is pretty interesting because it draws the idea of the depths of fear for which Pilate faced. The Greek word here is phobeo. It means to flee in terror. He can't go anywhere. It's where we get our English word phobia. I have a spider phobia. I have a bee phobia. If there's a bee in a moving vehicle, I'm coming out. If there is a spider, I ain't staying at your house. I'm going to go get a hotel because there ain't spiders in that hotel, right? Here he desires to flee in fear. What is he in fear of though? Now there are typically three positions for which people understand this. We know that Pilate's wife, Recently had a dream. Now it doesn't say this in John, but in Matthew 27:19, it says, "See that you have nothing to do with this righteous man, for last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him." Others believe that because Pilate was a Roman, he believed greatly in Greek mythology. Could Jesus be a deity sent to him? I mean, the Romans were very inclined to believe in human deities. In Acts chapter 28, when Paul sails to Malta, he gets off the boat. What happens? He gets bit by a snake. And the people are waiting, aren't they, for him to swell up and kill over, but nothing happens. And so they defined him as a deity. And when he visits Lystra and Darby in Acts chapter 14, when Paul healed the disabled man, Acts 14 says, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they begin calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes. Since he was the chief speaker, and they're like, hold on, guys, wait a second, we're not gods. Whatever he's afraid of, Maybe it's the fact, again, that the crowds would rebel and he would lose his job. It seems to be that this man is afraid that Jesus could be a deity. And if you understand Greek mythology, there isn't a God who is a God of grace and mercy. There are very vengeful gods, all of them. So you see, to deny Jesus as God is to be blasphemy. And here, Pilate has the golden opportunity to make wrong his his wrong right and release Jesus, but he doesn't. And I, I find it very interesting that in their unjust accusation that he is only a man, that he isn't God, that he isn't the King of Kings, They themselves are the very ones who are blaspheming. See, you and I know He's God in flesh. They deny Jesus as God, and to deny Jesus as God is blasphemy. He is God in flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. They just like to have the same option to falsely accuse, unjustly accuse Jesus of being a mere man rather than acknowledging Him as Lord. Listen, they will be justly denied before the very one whom they blaspheme. Because every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Listen, you can deny him for who he truly is today, but one day you will cry out to him who is Lord that he is Lord. He endured unjustly the false accusations. You may mock him. You may be called names. They may call you, they may mock you, but one day, know this, He will make all things new. And they who mock you today will beg for mercy and grace when they stand before the King of kings and Lord of lords and call Him Lord themselves. So in fear, this man Pilate enters the praetorium, verse 9 again, and said to Jesus, where are you from? He knew where Jesus was from. So what is he asking? Are you of this world? Are you from above? Are you really the Son of God? But Jesus gives him no answer. Almost to again fulfill the Old Testament picture of the suffering servant who is beaten and says not a word so Pilate, verse 10, said to him, are you, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know who I am, Pilate said? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Oh, really, Pilate? Sounds like the Jews are in control right now, buddy. They got you on a leash. You ain't in control of nothing. And Jesus just reminds him again, Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all if it had not been given to you from above. For this reason, the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. What are you going to do, Pilate? You see, these religious Jews, these religious leaders are Jewish people. And they have denied the Son of God, the Messiah, whom God has brought for them. They have denied the light. They have rejected Christ. And therefore, their sin is greater. He's not talking about Judas. He's talking about Caiaphas and the religious leaders. And as a result of this, Pilate made it efforts to release him. Verse 12, but the Jews shouted saying, if you release this man, you are not a friend of Caesar's. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. So now the Jews are playing their game. They're going to get what they want. Pilate, it's going to cost you your job, buddy. Be careful on the next move you make. If Rome catches wind... As you have aligned yourself with another king other than Caesar, oh boy, watch out. You're going to be on a chopping block. What will you do? Let me ask you a question. What will you do when you face an opportunity to stand against injustice? Will you follow through, call it what it is, sin? Or will you stand around and let that unfold because it may affect you. It may affect your friendship, your partnership with somebody. Listen, what we need in this culture is a bunch of men and women to stand up for truth. We need men and women who have guts and integrity that will speak out against injustice, that will say, that is not of God. It's one thing for the world. It's one thing for the lost soul to play around with injustice. Another thing for those who have been crucified with Christ to claim it's okay for injustice. We see the enduring injustice of Christ in their accusations. And thirdly, I want you to see the injustice of Christ in their judgment. Oh, the irony. He continues in verse 13. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Pilate, listen, was the judge. God had given him that right and that authority. He had given that right and authority and government, even in our today, for good, not evil. And he had misused that which God had allotted to him. He had been driven to a place where he had something wrong, sinful, And he would unfold that action to protect his own interest. Spurgeon says, Pilate's transgressions were now howling around him like a pack of wolves. He could not face them, and he had not grace to flee to the one great refuge. But his fears drove him to flee before them and there was no way apparently open for him but that which led him yet deeper into abominations. He judged Jesus. He sat on his judgment seat which in Greek is the Bema seat Pilate judges Jesus from the Bema seat. He judges the one who will be the judge on the Bema seat. And he judges unjustly. Injustices will be paid back one day with justice. And it will be paid back by the one who is just. The wicked judges will be judged by the righteous judge, the perfect judge, the judge that will stand for truth and justice. Listen, you can unjustly judge anyone you wish in our day. And in a world of social media, when it is a cowardly way, not face to face, you make judgments against people behind a TV screen. You can do all that you wish in private because God gives you that freedom. But know this. One day you will be judged with truth. Your lies, your fabricated judgments will be placed upon your head. And John wants to be clear. Pilate judged the one who is judge. Verse 14, we are reminded that the Lamb is prepared for sacrifice. The text says now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. They're going to sacrifice the perfect Lamb of God, Christ Jesus. Jesus. It was the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, "Look, you're king." If he could only believed in his heart this truth." It was only words, though. There was not a transforming power in the proclamation that Jesus was king. He, he was still acting in his frustration. So they shouted, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. Are you kidding me? In their judgment of Jesus, they're willing to reject everything these Jewish leaders knew to be true. We have no king but Caesar? This is the religious leaders saying this. Nothing for these Jews could be further from the truth. In their wickedness desires to judge unjustly, they had rejected the fact that they were God's people and they had one king and that was Messiah. They were God's people. And in rejecting the Son of God, they showed they had no desire but to live in their own sin. And they rejected God as their king. They were right. Caesar was their king. Thus they have suggested to themselves they should be stoned. For blasphemy. They themselves should be stoned. Oh, they will be judged for their injustice. Today, many like them refuse to let God rule in their hearts, in their lives. And many would rather be their own judge, worship earthly rulers rather than the eternal king. The judgment of injustice. What will you make of Christ? Oh, He endured injustice so that you and I might be justified. Listen, don't reject. Respond to Him and make Him Lord of your life today because He is Lord. Believe. And be saved. And when you face injustice, which you will, my encouragement for you to hit them with the gospel. (laughs) Hit them with grace. Hit them with mercy. Because they're ignorant. And they don't know any better. Because they have not the gospel of Jesus Christ that has given them eyes to see and ears to hear. And you can fight against the injustice or you can battle it with the gospel and tell them of the grace and mercy of Almighty God and the injustice that was given unto Christ for their behalf. And let God do what God does. The text ends... In verse 16, so then he, Pilate, delivered him over to them to be crucified. The final act of treachery against the Son of God had been put into action and Pilate gave in. And rejected Jesus for who he really was. Listen. God will not tarry forever. He will come again. And he will judge the living and the dead in righteousness and in judgment. Choose this day whom you will serve. Will you serve the temporal or the eternal king? the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. This has been Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. And be sure to visit us online at familybiblefellowship.org. And come see us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m.